Welcome to This Week in Photo. Bandwidth for this podcast is brought to you by CashFly at C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com. This episode of TWIP is brought to you by Carbonite Online Backup. Automatic, continual, and unlimited backup for your computer files for only $59 a year. Try it free at Carbonite.com and use the offer code TWIP and get two bonus months with purchase. This week on TWIP, looking back on trends of 2011 and looking forward on what's coming in 2012. It's Wednesday, December 28th, 2011, and this is TWIP. And welcome back to TWIP, your weekly source of photographic inspiration. I am your host, Frederick Van Johnson. Today is a very special episode as it marks the final show of the year, the final show of 2011. And it also means we survived another year. Joining me to uh, celebrate this are Alex Lindsay, Martin Bailey, and a new voice on the show, Sohail Mamdani. Hey, guys. Hello. All right, Alex, but before, before, we, before I move on... Refresh my memory. How old is Twip now? Once we close out 2011, how old will Twip be? I, 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 don't, I don't know. Is it like five years or three? Uh, it's something it is, insane. It is, I think it is five years now because I think that we, you know, we started Twip five years ago uh, when it at at um, uh, at MacWorld with mm-hmm. Steve Simon and um, and uh, Scott Bourne and myself doing it live uh, at MacWorld. We had tried a couple times with you and I and, and uh, Ron. Yep, yep. And I was <laughs> in I was attempts. in Los Angeles at the time. Yes, and so, but we uh, we actually got one out into the can. Uh, so our first one was would have been next week. So we are really finishing up the fifth year. Is that crazy? Well, Twip is five years old. We've outlasted some uh, some sitcoms. <laughs> a lot of sitcoms. Yes. All right. Uh, before we move on, like I mentioned, Sohail Mamdani is, is joining us. Just a little background on Sohail. He is uh, one of the key forces and drivers behind making This Week in Photo possible. He helps out with the meetup groups, the wildly popular meetup groups that we do here in the Bay Area, as well as he's one of the guys that's behind the show notes that you see on thisweekinphoto.com every single week. So without him and his ilk, the show would not be possible. So I want to welcome Sohail to the show. I thought I'd invite him on to chat about stuff because he is the biggest photo nerd that you (laughs) could possibly meet. He's worked at Barrow Lenses and, you know, and high-tech companies, and now he's here to share some of his knowledge with us and let me uh, rib him a little bit. So, so Hale, welcome to the show. Thank you very much, Frederick. <laughs> Don't be nervous. <laughs> so, 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 Hale, before we move on, just, you know, you're, you're a photographer, right? So, you know, you're, I think you are representative of the This Week in Photo core demographic. You're... You don't make your living with photography, but you love photography and you spend your idle time thinking, shooting and reading and learning about photography. What What is it that, that keeps you going about photography? Why do you like it? You know, it, it actually kind of goes back to, I would say, 2000, 
nine where photography really became a, a huge driving force in my life. It was one of the first things that I took up. My camera was one of the first things I took up after I'd been in a very bad accident. And it was one of those things where I one day I just found myself sitting in my car taking pictures out of my car window and thought, wow, this is really cool. Mm-hmm. And somehow it's sort of just been this this thing that stuck with me and Every time I pick up that camera, I'm reminded of just how incredible I felt after feeling really, really crappy for a very long time. Yeah. And it just keeps me going. So it's like your your therapy in a lot of ways, huh? It really is. And from what I've heard from a lot of my friends and fellow photographers, it's therapy for a lot of different people for a lot of different reasons. Yeah, absolutely. Well, welcome to the show. Thanks for taking the time to uh, to chat with us tonight. It's going to be a good show. My pleasure. Also on the show is Mr. Martin Bailey coming to us from a little island out in the Pacific. Hey, Martin, how you doing? <laughs> hey, Frederick. And, uh, well, good Merry Christmas in the past there. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, it's uh, it's great to be back with you guys. And that little island that you're on is, is Japan, right? <laughs> so, it is. It is. It is. Yeah. I was so. just there. Yeah. yeah, Alex. Alex Lindsay's also on the show. You were just there, Alex, right? What, were you, what were you doing Japan. out there? And, and were you yeah, – what were you doing? I was so we were uh, we uh, we were streaming for Salesforce.com. So we were at the Prince Park Hotel, uh, which is right near Tokyo Tower, and nice. we were um, streaming away. And my my I, my daughter was also there. My uh, Hannah, who's uh, just turned seventeen. I have this deal with my kids that if I miss their birthday, um, they have the right to go wherever I am going to be for their birthday. Hmm. And she um, she called me on it. <laughs> so <laughs> so anyway, so uh, so there she was, uh, and uh, it was. It was a lot of fun. I handed her a Pasmo pass. I mean, I think Tokyo is probably the safest large city in the world. It is, and so is. and so I just handed her a pass. I bought her a Pasmo pass and uh, put some stuff on it and uh, put some yen on it and just sent her off on her way. And she just was all over the place. Did you give her a credit card and send her into Roppongi? I did not. I did not. Uh, <laughs> yes, yes. Well, no, because she didn't go to Roppongi. Of course, she immediately was like, "Let's go to Harajuku." You know, yeah. and um, I was and, thinking that Rapunki Ginza, you know, the Ginza. Yeah, yeah, well, Ginza. Yeah, that gets a little <laughs> bit more uh, dangerous. Rapunki's pretty safe, but Ginza would get very expensive very quickly. So, yeah, uh, yeah. So anyway, but it's a it's a wonderful country. I love I love visiting. Oh, cool. Well, it's good to have you back on the show again. You haven't been on in a while. I know. I've been. You've been, been traveling. Yeah, you've been busy doing other cool stuff. We've been in other countries. Other countries. All right, Maybe. guys. Well, speaking of the sort of history of TWIP and all that magic stuff. Here's a blast from the past. Um, check out this voice. Hi, this is Scott Bourne from Photofocus.com, and thanks to Frederick Van Johnson for inviting me to participate in the year-end roundup here at TWIP. I always feel like I'm coming home since I'm one of the founders of the show, and I hope everybody had a great year. Frederick wants me to talk a little bit about trends and stuff that happened in the year from my perspective. I'll just say it was a tough year for many because of the tsunami the floods in Thailand, the tsunami in Japan, the nuclear meltdown in Japan, the earthquake. A lot of the camera industry is tied to that part of the world. And so when those places took a big hit, the industry took a hit. So that was tough. We also saw the postponement of many you know, anticipated camera lenses, for instance. All the big new Canon lenses were postponed. A lot of camera bodies that I think you would have heard about you didn't hear about. And then there were announcements for things that are going to come into next year that I think would have been this year. Lots of discussion around the field 
cameras, the the ability to shoot without having to pre-focus and then do it in post. That was a big topic this year. We're going to see more of that, I think. Um, gear continues to get better and cheaper. That's no surprise to anybody that follows this kind of stuff. Some really great cameras came out this year. If you follow what I do, you know that I'm a real big believer in the new Olympus EP3, especially with that 45 millimeter lens on there and the electronic viewfinder. That is a badass camera. That's the only way I can say it. Uh, it's a lot of fun. Definitely not right for everything. I certainly can't take it out to do birds other than the occasional static portrait of a pond with some birds in it definitely won't work for motorsports definitely won't work for high-speed action lots of things it won't work for but the things it does work for it works really well and the lenses for this thing the new 12 and the new 45 which have a effective focal length of 24 and 90 uh, respectively are just amazing so that was that was kind of interesting. Some new software came out from On One that was kind of exciting. I still think the stuff from Topaz is the best bang for the buck. We saw the discount of Aperture to ridiculously low price through the the App Store now, and uh, we'll find out what Lightroom can do now that it has to compete against that big price. We've got a new version of Photoshop and Lightroom coming up next year. You can count on one thing for absolutely positively sure. It's going to be video friendly. I know some of you just don't care about video, but it doesn't matter because all the cameras come with video and people are wondering what to do with it. So people like Adobe are dealing with it. You're going to see a, a lot of video features in the next Photoshop and or the next Lightroom. Uh, everyone asked me if Aperture's dead. That's a question I've gotten every year since it started more than five years ago. I don't think so. I think we'll see a new Aperture maybe next year. Um, you know, Lots of stuff going on with Google+. Plus. I'm not a fan because I license my images exclusively, and if I put them on Google+, Plus, I, I can't do that anymore because of the way the Google+, Plus Terms of Service works. You guys just slammed me for telling the truth about that, but that is the truth. Uh, everyone else should use it, could use it, probably will use it. Uh, it's not a factor for 99% of you, but if you are a pro and you license exclusively your images, you might want to take a look at that Terms of Service. But I know it's been a big deal for a lot of you. And I am on there. I just don't put any pictures up there. I'm still a Twitter fan. Twitter continues to grow, and I continue to be able to do pretty well there. So those of you that want to follow me on Twitter, I'm Scott Bourne. And those of you that don't, I understand. So that's my take on 2011. Thanks, Frederick, for inviting me to be a part of TWIP. And uh, we'll see you soon. Okay, guys, let's continue with the show now. Um, let's. So what we wanted to do on the show is sort of review sort of our photographic resolutions for 2012 like what do we want to get done as photographers or as creative people in 2012 and maybe look back on 2011 and spend a little time on what we think were some of the most important things in terms of i don't know software services gear etc from the year kind of like what scott was just saying so let's let's just kick it off um let's start with uh, martin martin what do you what do you think like you know, if you if we want to start with like favorite gear or technique from 2011, what would you uh, what would you point to? I, it's I think it's been a pretty dry year, you know, especially with the the two main camera manufacturers, Canon and Nikon or Nikon, um, being uh, based there. Well, the you know, from Japan, yeah, you know the the quake of 311, and then the ensuing tsunami and everything was. It's kind of knocked everything back. Canon's still got some of their upgraded super telephoto lenses that have been pushed out to the end of this year, then to next year, next spring, and now it's like we don't know when they're going to be ready. Um, so, you know, and then, then the floods in Th 
Thailand made a really sort of, you know, a lot of the manufacturing is done over there. So yeah. that uh, really threw a, a wrench in the works. So it's, it's, it's been one of those years where I feel as though there's not been a lot of camera, um, you know, advancements made. But for me, the, the biggest thing that I look back at this year, and I mean, it's, it's a little, it's a bit of a, a weak um, thing to, to be, to be pointing, you know, pointing out as my favourite thing for this year. But mm-hmm. re- really, the thing that has stuck out to me so much this year has been software um, in that I've I've just re-fell in love. I, I've always liked using Silver Effects Pro from Nick Software, mm-hmm. and they released a second version of that that just basically improved on what I always thought was perfection anyway. And then they upgraded their Color Effects Pro to 4, and I've just refound. I mean, I, I never really used color effects that much, but the that's now become a major part of my um, workflow. S- Silver Effects Pro has always been a major part, but it's just so much better now. You know, what's, made, well, so what's better about it? Because it was pretty. It's pretty darn good before. Why is it? Why is yeah. it so much better now? Well, they they put in things like um, dynamic contrasts. I think it. I think it was called dynamic whites, and they. They basically just gave you so much more control, and and they also have um, the the amount of noise that it generates seems to be less as well, mm. and you just got so much more tonal control now. You, it, it, it's not um, it's not as though the old version was unusable. I mean, for me, Color Effects Pro, the old version was unusable. I didn't like three at all. It was in the complete package. And it's too harsh to say it was unusable, but I never used it. I just didn't find it that that good. Um, but what they what they did with Color Effects Pro was they gave you the ability to stack filters now. So whereas before you had to use one filter, save it, and then reopen it and add another filter, things like that. Now you can stack filters, and so you can really create amazing effects. It's like I I don't really see the point. I was never really into into HDR. But with Color Effects Pro now, if you want to, you can just go in and get an HDR effect from a single image. Hmm. And it just brings out so much de- detail in the shadows that, you know, you, I, I really I can seriously not see a point for HDR anymore. If you want that, that effect, you can create it with a single image now. Wow. Um, but, yeah, both of them, have just they just seem so much better with the, the new dynamic contrast and the brightness and the way... Even just the sliders. I mean, it's a cosmetic thing, but the sliders are smoother now, and it just it just all comes across as being a, a really, really mature product now. So, um, if you had to pick one thing from like one, you know, one physical thing, I guess software. I'm, you know, I'm going to let software be physical for this mm, example. Mm. If you could pick one physical thing for 2011, would it be that piece of software? I think it would still be Silver Effects Pro. Would yeah. be would be the one. Um, Color effects is is great, and I'm I, I'm really enjoying using that. Um, but I think if I had to pick one of the two, then certainly Silver Effects Pro, because I, I love the black and white, the tonal qualities that, that you get with that that pro- product is just amazing. So, yeah, my pick for 2011 would be Silver Effects Pro too. Awesome, cool, Alex. What about you? If you had to pick one thing from this year that we're still in right now, what would it be? I think that the the thing that I w- that I, I really felt we saw we turned the corner between the Galaxy 2s and the iPhone 4s um, is that uh, you know the, the camera phone has 
kind of turned a corner. You know, I think that that is the thing that we one of the things that we've seen where the quality of these images that are coming out of both of those cameras is so high um, compared to what we've seen only in the past you know couple of years. And it's really gotten to a point where when I look at a taking around a handheld camera and you see it everywhere, I mean, everyone taking pictures with their iPhone or their or their Android and uh, I, I think that something really happened this year. We talked about it happening. We talked about it getting to that point, and people were – futurists were saying eventually we're going to be doing this all with our phone. But I don't think we really got that until we got to you know this year is where we really saw cameras at a level that really put a lot of pressure on on the kind of the uh, amateur camera market. I think that if you don't have some real specialty features uh, in a handheld camera – uh, I don't know how you how you can compete with the camera phones. Yeah, yeah, because they're ubiquitous. They're they're there, right? And yeah, and and I, and I think that there are things that that can be done. I, I don't think that that the 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 day is over for these little handheld cameras. But I think that they need to be looking at high speed photography, time lapse photography, HDR photography. Mm-hmm. You know, things that are you know lots of things that make that camera special and make it better they have to be looking at how you can't just take a picture anymore mm-hmm. and it can't be a lot of those stupid little effects that they add to these cameras i know that, that no one ever uses right no one ever uses and part of it is the interface i think that one thing when we talk about what we're going to see next year is i think that we're going to see you know i i i definitely think we're going to see um you know more happening in the you know in the camera phone space yeah yeah it's interesting i mean like i i still maintain like for me the my flow has always been, at least for the last couple of years, has been if I'm going to do some serious photography, I'm taking out my real DSLR cameras. And if I'm not, typically the, the thing that's in my back pocket all the time is the iPhone. I'm going to whip that out to take my, quote, disposable pictures, you know, or but it, that ramp of of the camera not being able to produce quality pictures, like you're saying, Alex, is declining. So it's getting better and better and better. And at some point... I don't like I can't remember the last time I turned on my my little Canon, you know, G5. You know, I don't I don't remember. <laughs> well, and, and, and I think that there was a big turning point. I, I, I know that it took Apple a long time to get there. I and mean, we can thank Camera Plus uh, and, and Lisa Bettany for, mm-hmm. for all of this is that. Thank you, Lisa. It changed it literally. I, I know it seems like a small thing, but when, when Apple changed the ability to take pictures with your volume button, mm. it completely changed what that phone felt like. You know, as far as taking pictures, which already was on the Android, it's just suddenly you're able to take photos with your, uh, you know, with that button and suddenly it's really easy and not so cumbersome. And, and also you can take pictures with your, if you have a headset in, you take pictures with the volume button on your headset. Oh, I didn't know you could do that. Really? Yeah, which, which really makes it nice because you're holding out one hand. It doesn't, that may seem silly, but, uh, but you can actually hold it out and then, and then be holding another one near your ear and just kind of clicking, you know, where you need to, where you, where you, where you need to click without having to stretch both your arms out there. And, I don't um, know that. That seems a little weird. That's like like iPhone yoga. <laughs> yes, it seems weird, but it's it's very very useful. It, well, and the other thing that someone told me, and I haven't had a time to test because I don't have a Bluetooth. They said you can do it with a Bluetooth headset too. The head, mm. the, the volume on it, so you could theoretically, you know, set your camera down, come, you know, go back to where you're going and hit the, you know, hit it anyway. The, and I think that the other thing that, that's important about this is it's not just the fact that this take that the iPhone takes photos or the Android takes photos. It's the fact that all these other things, whether it's Path or Instagram or Foursquare or Twitter, all those features are – it's all part of our social experience uh, of how we're connected to people. So it's not just that we're taking these photos. We're taking these photos and we're sharing them immediately. 
And I think that that's something that, um, you know, I know has changed. I mean, I'm still taking pictures with my 5D. But the funny thing about my 5D is is that I don't take things that I want to share quickly because I'm just like, oh, well, I'm going to have to do this and I don't yeah. have to do that. Yeah, they'll sit and marinate on your CF card forever, right? So I've had a, I have a couple right now. I have like December is still sitting on this on this 64-gig card that's sitting in my, in my things. I've just been so busy. And it's um, in my iPhone. People are seeing that seconds after i after i took it you know and i think that's the you know the the fact that i'm actually you know a lot of times you know say the best tool you know the best camera that you have is the one in your hand and and the you know the iphone and android have just become these these incredible cameras that that connectivity and i think that that's another thing that these point and shoot cameras have to find is they have to find ability to some of them already have started to add this but the ability to quickly upload those photos um to sites uh you know not just through wi-fi they have to look at the kind of 3g uh, data plans right? that we see yeah, with the iPad I know. and everything why, else. Why aren't these camera companies like striking Apple-like deals with AT&T and Verizon and selling cameras with 3G plans associated with them? <laughs> you know? well, 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 and I think, I think the thing is, is that we're, we're, we're moving towards uh, – I, I do think that we are going to see something that looks like what we talked about on the show years ago, you know, one or two years ago, and what we're seeing more and more of the concept art of being able to slide your iPhone into a, into a camera case where mm-hmm. – what I want, because I think a lot of people want, I don't, I don't need you to, as a camera manufacturer, I don't need you to do the operating system anymore. And people have asked, like, why would you want that? Why don't you just let the camera systems have their own OS? I don't want them to do that. I want to have my 3G and Wi-Fi connectivity. I want to be able to, I want any programmer out there to write their own interface for how I'm going to use this camera yeah. so that I have a specialty time-lapse camera or I have a specialty high speed or whatever and just give me a great sensor with a mount that can you know you know canon or nikon or sigma or whatever you want and give me a great processor that's going to give me beautiful images with a full-size sensor but then let me control that with an iphone and give me an sdk that allows developers to develop whatever they want and i still think you know my my theory is still that the number one company to do this would be i mean the, the the, the company in the pole position here is, is still Sigma because they have this Fovion sensor. So they have a sensor. They have lenses. They don't really have a camera that's selling anything in, in any kind of real numbers. Yeah. You know, and doing something you know, different, I think, would make the most sense for them. Right. Hey, Alex, I have a question for you. Yep. Uh, how do you feel about those mirrorless cameras, the Sony NEX series, the Olympus, the Panasonics, the Micro Four Thirds cameras? I think they're. I think that I, I just think they're tweener cameras. I, I don't. I don't. I, I think Would that you say tweener? They're tweener cameras. They're, <laughs> they're in mean? between. They're they're splitting the difference between. They're trying to split the difference between an SLR and a and a and a little. You know, and, and our camera phone. The problem is, is that I don't want it. The, as soon as it's not my camera phone, or as soon as it's not my my phone that I'm taking pictures with, I want it to be a full fledged SLR. And so, so my whole thing with a lot of those cameras is I just don't care. You know, I, I hate to say that. I mean, I, I should. I played with some of them. I ta- I've taken them out for a day or two, and and I just I'm just like I, I don't see myself using this because as soon as it it's not going to fit right in my pocket easily, it's not going to be my phone and it's not going to be my SLR, and I'm not going to get the quality that I'm getting from a 5D or a 7D, and I'm not going to get the compactness and and the ability to to do what I do with my with my iPhone, and so so I just don't think I. I, I mean, I think that there's a market. There's definitely people out there that think these are really cool and they'll do well. But I, I, I think that we're seeing kind of a parting of the waters in a lot of ways where you have on one side you have, you know, the five, you know, the SLRs and on the other side you have your phones. And yeah. I think that in that all that stuff in between is in is going to be in a lot of chaos as we keep on moving forward because these phones are only going to get more sensitive. They're only going to get 
you know, better. Yeah, you we're know, in iPhone version 5, you know, and iPhone and Android are in their infancy. What's going to happen when they hit the teen years, right? Right. It's crazy. Exactly. So, so Hale, so Hale was the, was, uh, was the guy that introduced me to and made me fall in love with the Einstein strobe from, uh, from Paul C. Buff, who we had on the show uh, a couple of weeks ago. So I'm guessing that might be his favorite thing of 2011. I don't know. So Hale, what's your favorite thing? <laughs> Okay, so yes, it it was going to be that, or it was going to be one other thing, and I was wondering what you were going to pick, Frederick. But um, <laughs> pick whatever you, you know. want; doesn't matter. <laughs> <laughs> well, actually, I'm going to go a slightly different way, and it's sort of related to the Einsteins because this is what you know drove me towards the, the Einsteins as well. It's actually Pocket Wizard, hmm. and you know, you 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 described me very aptly as as a photographic nerd mm-hmm. at the beginning of the show. So I'm going to stick with that, that theme with only the most endearment possible. <laughs> no, yeah, absolutely. I'll take it as a compliment. Believe yes. me. We're all nerds. Um, so, you know, being the nerd that I am pocket wizards and these things have been around forever. They're radio triggers that let you remotely trigger strobes uh, from your camera. But over the last, I would say, I want to say about a year or so, uh, maybe a year and a half, Pocket Wizards have been doing something very interesting. They've been coming out with this line of triggers called their Control TL line. And they have very model-specific ones. So they've got one for Canon, one for Nikon. Um, the Einsteins themselves have their have a specific module built for them by Pocket Wizard that you can only buy from uh, Paul C. Buff. And what these allow you to do is basically transmit exposure information or rather communicate exposure information between your camera and your flash. So if you've got, you know, Canon 580EX or a Nikon SB910 or, you know, whatever, now instead of having to manually control or manually program your flash, you can do it all from your camera. And you can do the same thing for Ellen Chrome writes because Pocket Wizards makes... Uh, modules for the Ellen Chromes, and you can do the same thing for Policy Buff Lights because, like I said, they've got those. And for somebody like me who suffers from a slight disability, being able to stand at my camera, manually just either manually dial it in or set it to automatic on my camera, on the pocket wizard trigger on my camera, and then have the studio lights or small flashes just respond and power at the settings that I want them to uh, to, to trigger, that's kind of huge. Yeah. That that makes it a lot easier for me to keep, you know, I shoot uh, portraiture and it makes it a lot easier for me to communicate with my uh, with my subject and not have to constantly hobble over to the lights. And God help me if the lights are, you know, a beauty dish hanging 11 feet in the air from a boom, I don't have to pull up the ladder every single time. So they really have changed the way that I that, you know, that I do photography and uh, those that's got to be my favorite piece of gear for the year for 2011 all right pocket wizard you know my you know i gotta say my favorite thing and i don't know if it's a thing for 2011 but it's been i'm i've always been this big huge fan of learning stuff and consuming information and you know it's just like there's not enough time to like go through all the things that i want to learn before i you know check out and the site that we, we I think I had again, we had the guy on the show, um, Dan Brodnitz on the show before, um, and he's at a site called Video to Brain, and they just make some crazy outstanding tutorials for learning software, kind of like Lynda.com but different. 
And, you know, I just fallen in love with the site because I just I'm always diving in there, learning new things and poking around. I love Linda, too. But, you know, it's just the, you know, certain things It's like certain camera bodies fit you better than other things. Video to brain seems to be more geared towards me where Linda is more like a, you know, Linda would be, I'd say, like a target. And video to brain would be like a little tiny store over in the corner that has just some select things that they do extremely well. And they're tied and sort of targeted specifically at creative people. Which it's like I a boutique shop. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. I'm sure they want to grow to be big or bigger than Linda at some point, but right now they're just, they seem to be the right size. And, you know, I'd kind of pick them. There's a ton of stuff to pick as favorite gear and stuff for 2011, but as overall, I'd, I'd pick that. I'm excited um, to see. I'm excited. I'm, I think that a lot of the, the stuff that they're covering is very good. They're very large and they're big, they're big in Europe. <laughs> so, Are you gonna say? I thought you were gonna say Japan. I was gonna say because as soon as I as soon as I said big in the next thing that was gonna come out of my head was big in, big in Japan. But no, they're um, uh, very large in Europe, and I think that it'll be interesting to see uh, how well they do. I think that they they've got some great products coming out. Yeah, and a great and a great business model. I, you know, it's good. Yeah, and they're they're like a little family business, so it's 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 really good to watch them and, and see them grow and all that. All right, guys, the next thing I want to talk about is the, the your favorite industry trend for 2011. So, you know, there's been lots of things that happened, you know, like DLC, DSLRs with video that happened, what, about four or five plus? I don't know, uh, whatever, a bunch of years ago. But it's been sort of picking up speed and becoming mainstream in 2011, 2010 and 2011. Or the idea of fewer megapixels has sort of picked up where... People are starting to understand where you know, the whole megapixel war doesn't really make sense. It's better pixels and lower light performance and that sort of thing. We've got like the the Nikon One mirrorless cameras, that sort of thing. And like Alex was saying, smartphones replacing point and shoots. What trends are do you guys think is the was the most important trend that we saw happen in 2011? I'll throw it to you first, Martin. What do you think? Um, I. I thought that the the biggest thing for me that stood out in 2011 was how there there are um, companies now are starting to think outside the box more than they have done. I mean, c- cameras have fundamentally not changed for such a long time, mm-hmm. um, and then all of a sudden, you know, there were rumours, but all of a sudden, the Lytro is is a reality, and that that camera. I mean, it scares the hell out of me to think that you can do all of that focusing after the event, um, but yeah, you know, the the fact that people are now starting to companies are starting to think outside the box and do do things that um, were more like science fiction in the past. Um, another one is like Photoshop demoed the um, sharpening of camera shake and stuff after the event. And th- this sort of technology, although it's it's scary as hell to think that you know that it's going to be a lot easier to make g- good photographs, it's getting easier all the time anyway. So. You know, the, there's always going to be times when you, like with the Photoshop sharpening thing, you, you've got a chance of a lifetime. You, you really think that, that, you know, that what you've got lined up in the, in the frame is perfect. You shoot the images and then all of a sudden you get them back. And the one that is got, say, birds in flight, the, the one that's got the, the wings at just the right, point is slightly out of focus or it's <laughs> yeah. it's you know that's the one where you got all excited and, <laughs> and made it shake a little bit too much or something but you know so i think that this it's going to be it's going to be great when you can start to do these things it certainly stops you from deleting all every 
every image that is slightly out of focus. But I, I mean, I've always been a bit of a stickler and, and of, I just hit the X key as I'm going through. If anything's slightly out of focus, I hit the X key. But a number of friends are telling me, you know, that you should stop doing that because you never know when you're going to be able to save something that would that would have been a really really good photo. So, right. you know, this this trend of sort of taking the the given and you know just moving totally away from it. I, I can't wait to see the big players like Canon and Nikon start to really um, change things as well. The the 1DX, as you were saying earlier, it's it's actually dropped three megapixels over the um, over the 1DS and the 5D uh, Mark II, which is, I mean, I, I personally, I, I like a lot of pixels. I like to be able to dive, dive in there and get a lot of a lot of detail. But I think that the, you know, I totally agree in that we need better pixels as well. I mean, it, when when it gets to a point where they can make a 35 megapixel camera that actually can see in the dark and and still gives you no noise at, I don't know, 128,000 ISO or something, then I'm, I'm all for that. And until the, the um, manufacturers get to the point where they can create something like that, then I think less pixels and, and better ISO, high ISO, low noise, uh, you know, better quality pixels is definitely the way to go. Yeah. But I, I really want to see these guys just totally shake it up. And um, You think they're ready to it? do that? You think we're going to see that in 2012 or...? or? I, we're I think still at if, the tip of it. I think if they get their heads out of the sand, then yeah. Um, I, I was reading a uh, someone on my forum pointed pointed us to a uh, luminous landscape mm-hmm. article on optimizing exposure recently. Recently, and basically, um, I mean, this, I'm not going to go into the details. I'd, I'd be talking for an hour if I did that. But um, towards the end, Michael Reitman bas- basically starts to theorize on the fact that. We, we're at the point now where, um, you know, rather than, say, if you're shooting something that's dark and what the, the general tre- tend, you know, what we tend to do, I mean, for, for normal photography, I always shoot to the, I, I expose to the right. Yeah. So, you know, I mean, but, but obviously everything that, um, I, all I do is that I'm, I'm in manual mode pretty much all of the time. You can do the same thing with after priority or whatever, but make sure that the histogram is just about touching the right side or if you know, that you can go over slightly, um, which I think we'll touch on this later, but if you know you can go over slightly, just sort of blow out the highlights a little, and you can you can generally make sure that you get the best quality image by exposing to the right. But the, the tendency has been to, if you're shooting something that's really dark, is allow it to be dark. But Michael Reitman in this article uh, you know, basically theorizes that because the, the better quality pixels are at the high and in the brighter stops you should overexpose it and then normalize it later um because the there's more bits assigned to the to the first stop of brightness than mm-hmm. than the second one and the third so he, he basically says that you know what what the manufacturers could do is using live view or the date the information that's hitting the sensor rather than the the light meters which are 20 30 40 50 years old and you know the 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 way that's all calculated um is to overexpose and then normalize later to give you the most information for your pixels and so the the camera manufacturers have already got the information the the you know with live view they've already got the ability to do this but they just choose not to they choose to still shoot things really dark and then leave it you know shoot it as you want it to be in in post processing and 
It, I don't know, it's just what it's like. One of these, they, they've got their heads in the sand to a degree. I think that they're making huge uh, leaps forward in some areas, but some areas they're just thinking this is what a camera should be, and this is how it's going to stay. Yeah, um, you know, to their credit, you got to look at where photography was just ten years ago and oh, where sure. it is now. So they, things have been progressive, progressing exponentially fast compared to other technologies. But for yeah, sure. I, I totally agree. You know, it's, it's time for some evolution in this area, but mm. still we're, I think we're moving at like a freight train speed and they need to kick it up to maybe airliner speed. Right? Well, and I think that <laughs> yeah. one of the, one of the issues that they have is that you get into the situation where they have to get their investment back on the factory. <laughs> you know, so that, yeah. you know, some of these things are, you know, things like the sensor, I mean, or how you're managing that is a, is something that, that is a retooling of the system. Anytime that, that you're going to be retooling the, you know the way the camera actually works. Not just a, not just a basic OS issue, but retooling exactly how it's managing light and so on and so forth. And you have all your lenses built a certain way, and all the other pieces. It's a big system change, and I think that they're you know they are moving quickly. I think that we what we are seeing, and what I think that you know what this is pointing to is that we are moving very very fast to, into a world where you know digital is passing. You know, we it, it, only a year or two ago, as I, f- I feel like we really got to a point where digital was was catching up with film. Mm-hmm. You know, film was ca- you know captured these big, gorgeous images, and digital was more convenient. You know, it was kind of a CD to album or CD to analog, and I think we're now getting to that point. You know, when we saw audio move to 192 bit, you know, like these crazy, you know, high sample rates and mm-hmm. and um, you know uh, th- those types of things. I think we're seeing that with with. Uh, with our images. And I think that that is going to, we're going to continue to see that where it, it's going to get to a point, I think where there is no quantity of light. That's really, we're only worried about quality of light. Where's the light coming from, but the actual quantity will become irrelevant. I think over time, uh, so will, you know, frame rate and speed of, you know, shutter speed and like all of these things in the next 10 years, I think it's just going to be, it's going to be dramatic yeah. where, mm-hmm. you know, where you're capturing, you know, a field of light or a, you're capturing a scene where anything can be refocused and anything can be re-exposed. That's the Lytro technology, right? Well, yeah, the Lytro, the Lytro, you know, but you're, and that's just, that's in its like infancy. It's not even yeah. its infancy. It's, it hasn't even been born yet. I mean, it's just like this crazy little thing, you know, that, that they, they're kind of playing with, you know, but imagine that 10 years from now where you're just snapping off photos at, let's say 24 frames a second or 30 frames a second or 60 frames a second that, can all be refocused, can all be uh, re-exposed almost completely, you know, to where you can see the filaments in the light or the, or the detail in the shadows. Yeah. And, and I think that we're, you know, the first, of course, we'll see this in $250,000 film cameras, and then mm-hmm. that'll slowly trickle down to our little, you know, our little iPhone, yeah. <laughs> our iPhone. Yeah, I can see the big 15. Hollywood director sitting in the, in the room when they're, you know, directing the edit saying, okay, you know what, focus on her in the background and right. bring the exposure down on the left side of the screen a little bit. And, you know. and my kids, my kids will be like, my kids will be like, you mean when you took the photo, only one thing was in focus and you couldn't change it? Yeah. That's crazy. Yeah. That <laughs> movie 32 crazy. does that easily. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so Hale, where do you think this stuff is going? Like, you know, industry trends and that sort of thing, you know, where you know, where what's important? What was important in 2011 and where is it going? Well, before I tell you that, I kind of have a question for the panel. So, if we're going to get to a point like Alex says 10 years from now where this light field technology is going to be really really pervasive and you can change everything from exposure to focus, you know, at, with the click of a button in post-production, Today, photographers make money based on 
not just their technical skill, but largely in part of their uh, due to their technical skill. They know exposure. They know, you know, they know focus. They know composition. They know all of these things. If you can change all of this in the future, what differentiates a professional photographer from a guy on the street who's got this massive camera for five hundred dollars that can do all of these things in post? Well, I, I think that there's a couple things there. I mean, one is is that the actual framing. It'll take a lot longer for us to get to a point where the framing of the, the image itself and how you set that up and where you set up the, 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 you know, the vanishing points and how you focus the eye based on the composition of the film, not the focus, but how you focus it on, on the way you structure, you know, all of the, uh, all of the elements in the scene that all of that still takes an enormous amount of talent. And even if that camera is capturing, let's say when I push the trigger, it captured 30 frames in the past and 30 frames in the future. Uh, you know, on either side of that image, which can't, you know, little hand point and shoots are doing now. Um, let's just say that, that, that that's happening. Still, there is something in that split second of waiting. And I think a lot of photographers capture this moment uh, that someone, their eyes are just in a perfect position and their, and their body's in a perfect position and their, or, or an animal is about to do something. And, and it really is that, that, that just that bare moment that I still think requires a lot of talent. I also think that, in many businesses, it's not about, you know, we, I think photographers for a long time have been about their technical skill and about their, you know, about their, uh, um, you know, their ability to, to manipulate those things and, and so on and so forth. But I think that what we're moving towards is a, is a business where your ability to manage your clients, and what I mean by that is, is make, keep them happy, <laughs> and your ability to, um, you know, promote your business and your ability to network with others and your ability to do all those other soft skills that a lot, some photographers prefer not to deal with, um, is that that is going to become, those are going to become some of the next generation of skills that you have to have. And I think this is going to happen all in many, many industries. Um, you know, people, you know, we don't like in the businesses that we work in, I don't depend on my, we obviously have a lot of technical skill, but I don't depend on our technical skill to get get through it. What I depend on, what, you know, what we lean on for all of the stuff that we do is our, you know, our client experience. We, we lean on, on making sure that we keep on improving. We lean on, you know, being responsive. You know, we re- those are the things that keep us in business, not the fact there are many people who are more technically skilled than we are. There are people who are less expensive than we are. Um, that's not Don't what. Let that get out, Alex. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> but but the thing is, is but 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 for the price, can you take care of? the client as well as we can. And there's not that many, we don't have a lot of competition in that area. And so that's the, and that's the thing, that's the, the key is to, is to make sure that that, that service keeps on is, is great to start with, but continuing to improve it. And I think that that's what, I think a lot of photographers, a lot of artists don't want to do that. They want to be in their art. They want to do their thing. They don't want to deal with the clients. And, but that is the business and that's becoming more and more of the business. All right. Well, well, so Hill, you, you, you used up some of your time on that. <laughs> so I'll give you a couple minutes to answer the question on your favorite trend of 2011. Fair enough. Um, so my favorite trend of 2011 has been the explosion of outlets for photography. And we've seen that with Google Plus and how active photographers have been on Google Plus, but also how Google Plus has influenced other services like Flickr and Facebook that have started to do things like give, you know, greater emphasis to photographers and Flickr photographs. Flickr made a change? Wait a minute. What? <laughs> Well, they made that change where they make your pictures look bigger on screen, which is very similar to what 500px and Google Plus have been doing yeah. uh, since their inception. But uh, you know, now you don't just have Flickr. Now you don't just have you know that one outlet or Facebook that one outlet. Now you've got Google Plus. You've got all these others. But you've also got 
this incredible proliferation of publications and apps specifically for tablet devices like the iPad. So there's this great new magazine that Steve Simon just published a photo essay in called Photographer's Eye. Actually, Michael Freeman is the editor-in-chief. Uh, Frederick, I believe you interviewed him mm-hmm. a few episodes ago. So he's the editor-in-chief of that magazine. And they you know, publish big, beautiful photographs, not not unlike what magazines like Life used to do not too long ago. So this whole idea that now you've got not just you know one website where you can show off your work but lots of websites and lots of mediums i love that trend that's that's absolutely amazing to me wonderful hey martin i'm looking at your 500 uh, px.com page so it's 500 pics.com slash martin bailey i'm looking at your work yeah. up here stunning work how do you how do you reconcile 500 pics versus google plus versus Flickr and all that do you, do you put the same stuff on every service or what um Yes and no. Uh, I for Flickr, I will I will put anything. I don't just dump my memory card. I I don't put anything out into the public that I'm not happy for people to see. So if I've shot like 500 pictures of a bird, I'll, I'll only pick one, two, or three. Um, of, or even you know, I mean, sometimes probably if you're looking at 500 px, you can probably see six images of a, a shoebill stalk. Yeah, that's what um, I'm looking at. Looks like a toucan. <laughs> yeah. It, so I mean that. If if I've made a small series, a study of something, then it, maybe it'll get up to five or six images. But generally, um, that all, all of that will go into my own gallery and into Flickr. But for 500px, I'll only put um, my you know stuff that I really want people to see as a, a more condensed. This is my work sort of presentation. And for Google, I don't. I upload things that I think people will talk about, um, but not necessarily everything. Uh, or even I don't put it as much as I even put on 500px up there. It's more a way of using my photography to communicate with people by, on Google. Um, for example, I, I I did a a podcast this week where I took people through what's in my bag for nature and wildlife photography, and. I I just put one of the images where everything was laid out on a white background. I, I just put that onto Google Plus to say this is what I've just released. Um, actually, no, I did a teaser first. A um, little bit of marketing coming out here, but of course, did a of te- teaser first where I I threw it up half a day earlier and just said this is what this week's podcast is going to be about, um, and then released the podcast a little bit later in the day. But I it really for for Google Plus it's more like. Um, Images that I feel will be more of a conversation point and uh, rather than just albums of work yeah 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 it's uh yeah we we in, in twenty eleven we had uh, Evgeny on he's one of the founders of five hundred picks and he talked extensively about what their goal was and I think they are they want people to put their best foot forward on that site whereas on some other sites it's put all your feet, arms, legs, nose, everything mm. forward at once and let people judge you and let them pick the best one. They want you to pick the best one and upload your best work. Yeah. So, yeah. all right, Alex, um, yeah, you, you spoke a little bit about this stuff, but, you know, do you have anything to add to your 2011 industry, favorite industry trend? No, I think that was it. It was, you know, I think that we saw officially the, uh, just to continue what, what I already talked about, is that we the official, uh, you know, crossover where the, you know, the iPhone is the number one posting to, tw- to Flickr. The, you know, we're seeing more camera phones everywhere. 
Uh, and, and I think that that's the trend that we're going to continue to see grow um, dramatically uh, yeah. over the next year. I'd have to agree. That would be my pick, too. I think that's that. I'm looking forward to see what, you know, in 2012, 2013, what iPhone 6 and 7 are going to do and look yep. like, especially in a post-Steve Jobs Apple. You know, what, yeah. what are we going to see? Is it is it we still going to see the same kind of devices come out of the company? Are they going to change radically now that Steve's not you know sort of guiding things i'm so i'm really excited i'm you know i'm interested to see what they can do or what they're going to do so yeah it'll be an interesting next couple of years all right guys uh the the last thing i want to talk about in terms of just sort of year in roundup and what's going to happen next year is your 2012 photographic resolution in other words if if there's if we're at this point next year we're in december it's december 28th 2012 right now what do you want to have accomplished by now Martin, I'll go with you first again. I I really want to obviously I I want to develop more business streams. I I've I've got my my fingers in a lot of pies, um, but it uh, as Rick Salmon often says, uh, you know, it takes a lot of fe- peanuts to feed an ele- elephant. So I uh, <laughs> I'd like to I'd like to get develop a few more streams and and also really fill out my my tour or photography expedition. Um, calendar through through next year yeah how's that going by the way because you your your tours are always full right so you want to add more to the to the rotation my my base the the snow monkey and hokkaido tours uh, we, we've actually still got two places on that um this year it's they've been filling for the last few years but i think the uh the possibilities of radiation and and you know the stuff like that from the problems here in japan uh. are affecting affecting the uh the people that were thinking of coming at the moment so we do. We do still have a couple of places there, but I really, yeah. I mean, I, I, I'm actually. I had a number of tours developed for next year that I'm kind of rethinking, um, and I, I might be might be moving to a different direction and and really trying to get to some adventurous locations uh, rather than sort of you know some of the things that I was thinking about. Now, if people people want to jump on one of those. You just go to your your website to keep up with that stuff. Yeah, there's. Um, uh, people can either go directly to mbpworkshops.com or if if you go to the martinbaileyphotography.com website, then there's a bunch of tiles on the top page there that take you to all of the various aspects of things that I'm into. Um, so, yeah, there's a, there's a photo tours uh, button up there. But, yeah, I, that that's part of it. But I think as, as, a res, as far as a resolution goes, I, I, I really I feel as though as I've gotten – busier over 2012 obviously and there was the there was the the medical um emergency in the middle of the year that kind of threw me back but i uh i found that i as the busier i get the less reading i do and i I think that there's never been a better time even even on the ipad and and things like that i just i feel i feel that as though i enjoy reading a lot um but i just am not making enough time to do it and so uh, there's a couple of things, that, and really, when I say reading, for me, everything in life is about photography. So, I, you know, the, if I if I mean if I say reading, I mean reading photography books. Then, yeah, yeah. so so for me, it's I really want to make more time to read next year, and and really because there's a lot of great books coming out. Like, what do you want to you want to learn new techniques, or do you want to just be inspired by seeing other photographs from other photographers, or what kind of stuff? Any book where I'll get inspiration or I'll learn something about the the bigger picture of, of photography and not just a, a specific technique, although I do enjoy those. Yeah. Um, 
I, I generally tend to, for technique. I generally tend to be more of a a passive learner in in you know the the online training that like you were talking about earlier. I, I prefer to sit and watch for techniques or listen. I mean that's why I do a, a podcast. I think rather because I just think that people um, can can learn more by just passively taking it in. Um, yeah. And you know it's, it's like novels and things. And, and even these, I'm currently listening to the Audible book on you know Steve Jobs' life. Um, and I, I I generally tend to now to use time. Um, in the car and stuff like that to li- to listen to books more than anything. But if I'm going to sit down, and I think that a photography book, it's great to be able to see the pictures. So I like to actually sit and read it with a with either a hard copy or a, an iPad or you know a, a PDF or something. Uh, just because you for, with photography books, you need I think you really need that um, the visual stimulation as well as the words. Yeah, I agree. Now, Alex, you're. As busy as you are and as into audiobooks and that sort of thing as you are, when was the last time that you had time to sit down and just read a physical book or even a book on your on a device? I don't read books. Burn them all. Reading. Burn all the books. Right? Yeah. I, I mean, I just don't. I mean, my, my reading habit, the only paper that I read uh, on a regular basis is – when I get I get up I get on planes fairly often, and typically I have Wired and The Economist stuffed into with my laptop on in my backpack. Yeah, and those are for the ten minutes that I'm we're taking off and the ten minutes that we're landing. You know where I can't use my my iPad or iPhone. Yeah. And um, yeah. at that point, uh, you know when I'm when I'm you know have an internet connection, I'm typically if I'm going to be browsing something to read, it's Flipbook. You know that's typically how I you know find a lot of stuff or surfing the web, yeah. and then I listen to a lot of audiobooks. I'm just you know just constantly listening to um, some audiobook. I think right now I'm knee deep in one on SEAL Team Six, <laughs> so I'm researching for a movie that I'm, I'm working on. And yeah. so um, how do you um, how do you find your retention is with with an audiobook versus a physical book with words? Um, I think I'm I'm horribly dyslexic, so I, I'm not a fair example. I mean, my retention is ten times higher with an audiobook because I and I don't do it any at any point in time. I don't do it. I actually don't do it when I'm driving that much, and I don't do it when I'm sitting around because I I tend to daydream really quickly. Uh, I tend to do it when I'm cleaning, which I you know I, I tend to do when I'm I don't know I when I'm cleaning or when I'm walking. Something that it has to be a very certain level, or I get distracted, you know, yeah. by whatever I'm doing. Mm-hmm. But I don't, I don't have it like – I have to admit a lot of the books that I read, I'm not t- – no one's going to test me on it. So uh, you know, I kind of – I'm, I'm in this mode of I just absorb whatever I'm going to absorb out of the book. You know, like in, it's, and, and a lot of them that I like – I got into this book called Shop, um, uh, uh, Shop Class as Soulcraft, hmm. and which is just awesome. It's about the, the need to actually do things to you know, gain you – know, build a certain level of intelligence. What's it called and, again? Shop Class um, what? I believe it's shop class as soul craft, and let me uh, let me. I'm gonna find it on my iPhone here in a second. But the um, but anyway, but the it is a great book um, about you know just yeah shop class as soul craft by Matthew Crawford, and and I've listened to it a couple times. You know that you know I've listened to that a couple times. I've also listened to A Thousand Hills by Stephen Kinzer. We're about to open a facility. We got funded, yay, um to open a facility in uh Rwanda uh in in the spring. And so so I'm constantly listening to books about the history of Rwanda and where Rwanda is now and what's going on and trying to make sure that I, you know, understand culturally what's going on what with where I'm working. Um but anyway, so 
that's how I that's how I keep track of things. As I as I listen to books, I, I listen to a lot of them. Now, what, what would you say, you know, photographic resolution wise for twenty twelve? What would you say are your targets to to, or where would you like Alex Lindsay to be development wise at this point next year? So I'm gonna. There's a couple things. One is um, I have I've decided I'm gonna do the photo the three sixty five um, starting Jan one. Jan one. Nice. But I'm gonna do it with my iPhone. <laughs> so, so like I've decided, I'm gonna, every photo that I put up there is gonna be for my iPhone. It has to be, you know, be as great a photo as I can get. No screenshots, like, Alex. Don't do any screenshots. <laughs> no screenshots. No, no. I'm gonna. So I'm gonna take. I take so many photos as it is with my, and, and it's just something with me all the time. And I'm gonna f- try to find fun things to do with my iPhone and fun pictures to take. But I'm gonna do a 365 project, and I'm gonna. Uh, but I said I'm going to do the whole thing. I've decided with my iPhone. That's going to be my little my little game um, is to just take lots and lots of photos with my iPhone. And then I'm also with my 5D. I'm going to build a project, and I can't decide yet whether it's once a month or once a week. Probably be once a month where there's a focus. Like I'm going to take lots of pictures of people's faces, or I'm going to take a lot of pictures of this, or I'm going to take a lot of pictures of that, and really kind of have this thing in the background that I'm trying to you know grab onto while I'm doing whatever else I'm doing. Uh, with my bigger camera, you know, and, and playing around with that, that technique. Yeah. Uh, and it might be a technique. It might be a subject matter. It might be, you know, that type of thing. And I might, I might do a little bit of all of those things. Like I, um, I want to build a library. I, I, I use, I use a lot of my photography as reference and, and text, texture maps. And, um, so I may like decide for this week, I'm going to take pictures of brick <laughs> and nice. just take lots and lots of pictures of brick. And, um, so, so those are the kind of things that I'm going to be, um, you know, focusing my, my bigger camera on those types of groups of things and then and then focusing on doing a 365 where I have to put something up every day. Um, and I, I like that idea. It was just too overwhelming to do it with my big camera, you know, with, with the way my schedule works. Well, and, there's, a, um, there's a cool iPad or iPhone. I, I don't know if it's for the iPad, but I think it's this iPhone app um, called Photo365, strangely enough. And it's at photo365app.com. Uh, and I'm going to have to get it. That will just – it just does exactly what you think it might do. So <laughs> <laughs> It gives you a reminder at 11 o'clock. You have not posted anything yet. Yeah, and it shows a calendar with little thumbnails of the images uh, that you took on certain days and all that. Oh, that's great. So I'll, I'll definitely check that out. So anyway, those are my, those are my photographic uh, um, resolutions. Very cool. All right. So, Hale, what do you got what, – what's on your mind for next year? Well – um, going back to, or rather continuing my geek roots, um, I've gotten a lot more into strobes recently uh, over the last 18 months or so, and I kind of want to continue that. I feel like there's a whole world there that I haven't quite tapped into, and I, I just it's the world of light and understanding how light works, how it behaves, how it falls off, how just how it functions and how to bend it reflect it, refract it the way I want it to, you know, be. Uh, that's kind of what my focus is going to be this year is to try and master light. I think there's, that's a lifelong uh, thing. But, yeah. yeah, that's that's basically what my 2012 resolution is, is to get one, one year closer to mastering light. Get intimate with photons, right? <laughs> there you go. Can I steal that? That's It's awesome. all yours. <laughs> It is all yours. I'm a I'm an astronomy geek, so you know it always comes out. Um, all right, and my my resolution for 2012 kind of borders or is kind of kind of mirrors yours, Martin, in terms of developing different revenue streams. Um, and I'm going to leave it at that for now because there's some stuff I can't talk about. But it's uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's all about the, you know I think 2012 is all about liberation 
and developing different revenue streams so so I can be more like Martin Bailey. I'm going to leave it at that. (laughs) (laughs) That is my goal for next year. All right, guys, before we go on to the next uh, segment, I want to take a moment to remind the audience about our Facebook and Google Plus pages. You can join our conversation, get your questions over to us, just submit them, um, submit your comments and all that stuff at the various sites. You can find us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash This Week in Photography or um, on Google Plus. I've made a shortened version of our Google Plus URL, and that's just fvj.me slash twip plus, and that'll take you right to the twip Google Plus page. And if you want to get to my Google Plus page, um, if you feel so inclined, it's just at fvj.me slash plus, and that'll take you to my page. All right, uh, before we continue, let's hear a little more from some other members of the twip family. Hey, Frederick, it's Thomas Hawk. How are you? Uh, thank you so much for inviting me to do a year-end uh, clip for This Week in Photography. Um, I love the show. I'm a huge fan of the show. Um, I enjoyed being on it this year, uh, as always, and certainly enjoy uh, all the great work that you guys are doing for the community. So Happy New Year to you, and Happy New Year to the TWIP team, and keep up the great work going into 2012. Um, as far as uh, some of the trends that I've seen in 2011 and going into 2012, probably the biggest trend uh, that I've seen has had to do with self-publishing and more specifically Google+. Plus. Um, I think Google+, Plus has emerged as uh, the most vibrant, engaging, uh, active photography community on the web that I've ever seen. And I've personally been very, very excited to be involved with that um, you know, I've started my, my own new show that I've done called Photo Talk Plus with my co-host Lotus Carroll. And uh, we're doing that through Google Plus with uh, broadcasted Hangouts. And, um, you know, but it's, it's more than just that. The online community there has is, is blossomed into a wonderful friendships and offline communities. Uh, we've had a number of photo walks. We've taken a, a number of trips. We went to, had a great trip to Death Valley. We're... Uh, a bunch of us, uh, Robert Scoble and Trey Ratcliffe and uh, Tom Anderson and Scott Jarvie and Karen Hutton and a lot of great photographers, we're all headed up to uh, Yosemite this weekend to shoot up there together as a group. And uh, we've got a lot of other great plans going into the new year, so um, lots of new trips planned. And, and I think as a, as a community tool, I think you're going to continue to see Google Plus thrive. Um, so I'm really excited about that trend. Um, other things that I'm seeing, uh, I think the technology is going to get better and better. Um, I do hope that 2012 is finally the year that I get to replace my Canon 5D Mark II with the, the replacement for that camera. So I'm excited about the possibility of that. Um, you know, I'm going to probably most likely get a new MacBook Pro this year. Uh, I think what's going on with flash storage and the speed of, of, of which that enables us to process our photos and things like Thunderbolt. And uh, I think all of that's going to continue to get better and better and better. Uh, on the software side, I'm excited about uh, what Adobe may come out with next year. Um, uh, the noise reduction technology in Lightroom 3 I thought was great, and I'm looking forward to seeing uh, what they possibly could come out with this next year to make it easier and better for us to process our photos and Photoshop as well. And and, and not just Adobe. I think there's so many other wonderful software uh, companies out there putting out great products. Um, I've been playing around with On1 uh, Perfect Photo Suite recently, and I'm incredibly impressed with that. So um, I think we're going to continue to see these sorts of great new software, some uh, 
great new hardware advancements, some uh, great uh, camera advancements, and certainly on the web, uh, great publishing. Uh, and even if you don't use Google+, Plus, I mean, photos at Facebook have gotten bigger. Uh, hopefully at some point Flickr is going to get with the 90s and uh, start improving a little bit for us. Uh, but uh, I do think you're going to see a lot more with self-publishing, whether it's um, you know books or whether it's photographs on the web, big beautiful photographs, or uh, things like um, like new shows, like like my new show at uh, PhotoTalk Plus. Uh, uh, so I'm really looking forward to 2012 um, and excited about uh, what the future is going to bring us. So, uh, anyways, thank you again for uh, inviting me to send in an audio clip on uh, 2011 going into 2012. Keep up the great work. You guys are a wonderful, wonderful resource for the community. Uh, the best podcast on the web for sure. And uh, I'm a huge fan and I'm looking forward to the, all the great work that you guys are going to do uh, going into the new year. Thanks so much, Frederick, and uh, catch up with you in person soon. Hi, Fred and team, uh, TWIP team. This is Paul from Ireland. Just wanted to say Merry Christmas and thanks for a great show. Uh, no real comments to add, but apart from uh, my resolution for next year. I've decided to do a 365 project, but I'll turn into a 366 project uh, being a leap year, and hopefully I can do it every every four years uh, for my family to enjoy a photo book off. Thanks. Hey, you guys. This is uh, Nathan Pollock from lvphoto.ca. One thing from 2011 that kicked me in the rear that was awesome was the Manfrotto 561 BHDV-1 monopod. Now, this monopod was not just a normal monopod. It's a monopod on steroids. Okay, so it's got the crazy fold-out legs at the bottom with the ball joint, and then it's got a sweet, beautiful, fluid uh, video head on top. So this thing is great for doing sports shooting, but also for doing filming. You can do nice sweeps with it or zoom in or zoom out. Um, it's a great monopod. Uh, also, it can actually, if you balance it right in the middle, it can stand up and it can be just like a tripod. So um, it's good to replace a tripod. Um, it's good for video. It's just a great all-around monopod. Check it out, guys. Bye. First off, I love the show. This is Jose Morales from San Jose, California. My favorite piece of gear is, uh, for me is to uh, stop waiting for the 5D Mark III and just jumping from my 40D to the 5D Mark II. I wish I wouldn't have waited so dang long. And uh, I can't say I'm just so happy with the 5D Mark II. My favorite thing in the industry, uh, favorite industry trend, I would say, is online workshops like Creative Life. And, you know, those, those awesome stuff right there going on. And services like video to brain and even uh, YouTube tutorials from just different people like me or whoever. Uh, there's no need to spend thousands going to universities or JCs and taking a class once a week when you can learn at your own pace online. And then also my 2012 photographic resolution, I would say um, I'm already doing video work with my 5D Mark II with a 50mm 1.4 Carl Zeiss lens. Get an amazing quality out of that. So now I want to plan on starting a few YouTube channels. Um, Wired recently did an awesome uh, article on this, if anyone wants to check it out. Um, because I believe also that streaming is the future. If you have all the gear, you might as well take advantage of it and ride the trend, ride the wave into 2012. All right, buddy, keep it up. Good work. And I uh, love the show. I wish it was on more often. But 2012, let's make it everybody's year. All right. Happy New Year. Take care. 
Hey Fred, it is Trey. I'm recording this little message for you. So I am in um, Yosemite now and just landed uh, here at uh, a lodge and we're about to have a giant uh, photo walk. We have people coming in from all over the nation, all over the world to this thing. It's going to be great. It's sort of uh, uh, organized spontaneously on Google Plus and it's a, it's a free event. And we're going to go out shooting for the next few days and learn together and have all kinds of tips. And, you know, it'll just be, it'll be great. And I think this is one of the best things about the uh, kind of new, evolving photography community that uh, you and uh, everyone else there at, at uh, TWIP is helping to foster. So, uh, you know, I appreciate you guys very much. And uh, I think this is exciting, everything that's happening, because... Uh, you know, I get to hang out with other photographers and talk about the tools of the trade and talk shop, and it's nice. Because I think, you know, as photographers, we're kind of uh, lonely people, right? We're kind of these introverted uh, guys and gals, and it's nice to get together and uh, uh, commensurate with the like-minded people. It's uh, I don't think it's that dissim dissimilar historically from... Uh, the Impressionists of the uh, late 19th century, how they would meet in cafes in Montmartre and Paris and talk about, uh, you know, how they got their paint and, and different techniques, and they would go paint together. And you saw this huge explosion of that new art form then, and I think the same thing's happening now with digital photography, thanks to, you know, thanks to guys like you and, and, um, and this sort of thing. All right, anyway... I, uh, I'll sign out here. Um, people can come check out the photos from the photo walk on Google+. Plus. I'm on there, so is, so is everybody else. And, uh, you know, just kind of stay in touch uh, with me on there. We have these all over the world, and uh, they're always free. Uh, they're just sort of fun events, a nice little celebration of photography, because that's, um, that's what it's all about. Okay. All right. Thanks, Fred. Talk to you later. Bye. Hey there, my name is Pat Reed. Um, I am calling from San Luis Obispo, California. I've recently relocated here from Dayton, Ohio. Um, started my business um, up here again in San Luis. Um, really excited about the new year. Uh, my favorite photo gear of 2011 is probably a 2010 offering, but uh, nevertheless, my newest piece of gear is the Nikon D7000. I absolutely love it as a backup camera. It served me um, very well backing up with the D700. And I've done uh, weddings with it and have just uh, gotten great image quality. Um, as far as photo trends of 2011, uh, I think my favorite have been the online training opportunities that have been available. Specifically, I like KelbyTraining.com in addition to uh, David Dushman's eBooks, And there are also many other um, ways to learn online without uh, spending too much money. Um, lastly, my resolutions for this year, uh, looking forward to growing my business first and foremost. Um, and secondly, trying to get back to my roots, uh, taking more pictures of my children, especially, um, that suffered just a tidbit as I've grown my business. And finally, I'm looking forward to uh, trying to write some more columns for TWIP. Um, I've written a couple of this last year, have really enjoyed it, and look forward to uh, contributing um, in 2012. So Happy New Year to all. Merry Christmas, and look forward to hearing from others in the community. Cheers. Hey, Frederick, this is Chris Marquardt of Tips from the Top Floor. Thank you so much for an awesome year of shows. 2011 was really, really exciting. 
And you know, from a photography point of view, 2011 was probably one of my personal most important years ever. And that's not just because of amazing advances in technology. Speaking of technology, yep, there were a lot of interesting things in 2011. The megapixel war has partially been replaced with a quest for the highest ISO possible. A whole new category of mirrorless interchangeable lens cameras has cropped up. And we've seen a few novelties, such as the Lytro. <laughs> Even though if you Google the word Raytrix, you'll actually find out that the light field technology has been around for quite a while. And I hate to say it, but it has been brought to market by a German company. <laughs> of course, also back in March, we have seen the Japanese people and their camera industry being hit hard by the by the earthquake and the tsunami. And... Probably as a result of that, two of the most anticipated DSLRs still have not seen the light of day. And I'm obviously talking about the the successors to the Canon 5D Mark II and the Nikon D700. Well, maybe in 2012. Personally, I found the Fuji X100 interesting. And, and not just for the retro looks it has. Finally, a photographer's camera with access to all the settings and with a revolutionary viewfinder. Wonderful ideas in a beautiful package, but in the end, I ended up being a bit disappointed by how it actually turned out. Great hardware, some brilliant ideas, but nah, the concept needs a bit of work in the firmware, I guess. But still, from my point of view, a pretty good step in the right direction. Now, <laughs> one of my personal photography highlights for 2011 was... Something much less popular, actually something that couldn't be further away from high-tech. During the year, I have seen a lot of seasoned digital photographers rediscover or discover for the first time the excitement of being forced to slow down. The, the excitement of, again, having to think about how you want to take a picture before you actually take it. And of course, I'm Talking about film photography. <laughs> you knew that was coming. As as we live in a more and more virtual world, there, we, we basically buy virtual goods that we can't hold in our hands with, with virtual money that we never get to touch. I find it pretty satisfying to put actual film in a camera that has actual silver grains on it that react to light hitting them and then develop that film to get a negative and then turn that into a positive image by some arcane process or with a scanner and use that entire process to really really understand photography and that includes digital photography to understand photography to a much deeper and much more profound level and i'm, I'm far from saying i'm giving up digital no 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 but that analog journey has been a really satisfying experience for me. And I can clearly see the results in any kind of photography that I'm doing now, no matter what camera or what technology I use. And as an additional bonus, as I've learned the ropes of photography on the 35mm format, I find it especially refreshing that the analog side of photography gives me an easy entry into larger formats, such as medium format or the 4x5 large format. Now, all I hope for is that the Kodak film business keeps on going. I'm pretty much in love with a Tri-X black and white film. But anyway, no matter how you want to express your photography, be it analog or digital, if you use a micro four-thirds camera or an iPhone, it doesn't really matter. It's all photography. Oh, and I'll be in San Francisco in August, so maybe you and I can set up a photo walk or something. Anyway... 
Here's to a wonderfully photographic 2012. Happy shooting. Hi, this is Joseph Lenashki of Aperture Expert. Frederick asked me to do a little year-end wrap-up, and being the Aperture Expert, I figured I'd talk mostly about Aperture and what we've seen throughout 2011. Of course, in January, the biggest news was that Aperture was added to the App Store, and the biggest thing in that was that the price was dropped from $199 all the way down to $79. It quickly became the top-grossing app on the App Store, and it's still in the top 10 almost a year later. Now, of course, that price drop did lead to loads of speculation on what that actually meant. Like, was it a fire sale? Uh, well, the good news is, of course, that bits don't cost anything to store. So, no, it was not a fire sale. Apple is not clearing the shelves of Aperture, and Aperture is clearly still running strong. In fact, we saw several updates throughout the year, both as raw support updates and pro kit updates, and, of course, straight-up software updates. We saw Aperture updated to Aperture 3.1.2, 3.13, 3.2, 3.21, and 3.22, and many of those updates were there to coincide with the July Lion release. That was a huge release for a lot of people. There were a couple of hiccups for the early adopters, but those were all quickly addressed, which paved the way for some great new features, such as October's iOS 5 release. That brought us iCloud and PhotoStream, and for Aperture users, this was really, really cool. If you haven't updated yet, it's amazing. What it does, it allows you to sync all of your iDevices and Aperture together at once. So any photo you take on your iPhone or your iPod or your iPad within seconds can show up on your other devices and within Aperture itself. I found this to be an absolutely incredible feature to have, and I think you'll all enjoy using it too. One thing that didn't happen this year was a store within an app. I had this idea that I talked about a while ago where we could put a store inside of Aperture for selling things like filters and presets, and I'm still hoping for these, and I'm hoping to see it come along like an app store model where anything that's free is free for the developers to distribute. Anything that is for sale is shared on a 70-30 revenue stream, just like the app store or the iOS store. I would love to see this happen within Aperture, so Apple, if you're listening, still hoping to see that. Now, speaking of presets, Aperture Expert did release several new preset packs throughout the year, including several texture and film look presets, and we dropped the price of the eBooks all down to $9.97 to kind of coincide with the $79 Aperture price drop. Figured it wasn't fair selling a $25 eBook for an app that now only costs $79. We also released a new live training series where it's totally free to watch the training live. And then you can buy the downloads later on for just $2 a piece. And we recorded 12 different sessions in 2011, and we are going to continue to do that throughout 2012. Speaking of new things, we also released the new Aperture Expert newsletter this year, just in the last few months, actually, and that's proven to be incredibly successful. If you haven't subscribed to that yet, just head on over to ApertureExpert.com and subscribe to that mailing list up in the top right-hand corner of the page. We also released the brand new Work Like a Pro Photographer in Aperture 3 training video, which is being sold by video to brain That's Video2Brain.com. You can also get that directly from ApertureExpert.com, of course. And video to brain is making some pretty incredible training videos out there. There are hundreds of authors that have released videos on the site, and what you get in there is a very innovative way to do your video training. I would definitely encourage you to check that out if you haven't already. I also released a new ebook, Killer Tips for Getting the Most Out of Your Canon Camera. And by the way, if you're not a Canon shooter, this is still an incredibly useful ebook. Not only as an ebook, but I actually spent a week in December filming this in Austria for Video to Brain as a live training, which is going to be really, really fun to see. That should be coming out sometime in January or February of 2012. Going back to Aperture, there are plenty of tips released on ApertureExpert.com this year, including some top tips on finding old photos, zooming and panning on multiple images simultaneously 
emptying the trash was fully explained, oversharing was discussed, watermarks, filing with the copyright office, understanding brushes, stacks, pics, iCloud and PhotoStream, and even a discussion on why photos look different in Aperture or in Photoshop or Lightroom than they do on your camera's LCD. There are also several cool new user tips posted on Aperture Expert, including one that's not Aperture specific, but is definitely about photography. If you own an iPhone, you can use your iPhone's headphone cable as a cable release. And since the iPhone is the most popular camera on Flickr, this is probably a useful tip for a lot of you. You can also add faces to names as keywords. We took a look at Photomagico, talked about viewing Aperture slideshows on your TV, talked about using the vibrancy slider in a negative view, and more. If you have your own tip on Aperture, be sure to post it up on ApertureExpert.com. Just click on User Tips and follow the directions there. And if you have a question about Aperture, there are over 1,600 discussions in the forum right now on ApertureExpert.com. So any question you might want to ask may have been asked already, but head on over there and ask it again or just dig through the forums and see what you can find. Now to round out the year, there were loads of rumors running around about the next release of Aperture. It could be called Aperture X or Aperture 10 or maybe just Aperture 4. But for the naysayers out there who say that since Aperture didn't come out with a new major release in 2011, just remember, Aperture 1 came out in 2005, 2 in 2008, 3 in 2010, and so coming out with version 4 in 2011 was probably not very likely. 2012, that I'll buy. I think we're going to see a new version of Aperture, whether it's 4 or 10 or whatever they call it, in 2012. That's my prediction, and I'm hoping to see that come out. There's a lot of really exciting new features that could be added in there, and I'm sure you'll agree with me that we are all anxiously awaiting for them. Apple also released Final Cut Pro 10 this year, which was a major new release, a significant price drop, and while it didn't have quite all the features that the major Final Cut Pro users were looking for, it was a significant, significant release for anyone working with a DSLR or just casual video users who are looking to upgrade their workflow from iMovie. Final Cut Pro 10 was an amazing product, and I definitely encourage you to check that one out if you're into video editing at all. That's my wrap-up of the world of Aperture and Aperture Expert. I encourage you to stop on over to the site, follow me on Twitter at Aperture Expert, or for just photography news, head on over to photojoseph.com and click on blog, or follow me on travel underscore junkie on Twitter. Hope you have a great 2012, and I look forward to seeing you on TWIP. Okay, now it's time for some listener Q&A, and this is, this is a segment where our wonderful guests answer questions that have come in from our audience via those different vehicles that I mentioned earlier. Um, please, if you, you're interested in getting your questions answered on the show, make sure you follow us on Facebook, Google+, Twitter, etc., and just use the hashtag TWIPQuestions to get our attention, and we'll, uh, we'll respond accordingly. Question number one, I'm going to throw it to Alex Lindsay to read and respond to. Alex, take it away. This is from Rich Baum on our Facebook page, and he writes, In the past, I heard someone on this show using a point-and-shoot to do time-lapses. Who that could be that me. have been? Who would that be? Uh, <laughs> that, that would be me. Um, and uh, to capture the building or setup of film sets, if anyone has any good inf- information on good low-cost cameras for time-lapse, uh, please send the info my way. So uh, there's a lot of different things you can use. I mean, one of the easiest ones to use as a time lapse is GoPros. GoPros have a system kind of built into them, and they're wide angle, and you can just they're really easy I want to the attach. Camera. To stuff. I saw it in Best Buy yesterday. I want it. I got to get it. I have one. It's nice. Um, you know, it's it's sometimes a little little too wide, and um, 
and they don't go as high resolution. One of the things that I have these little Ricoh R10s that I, I bought a couple of them, I think in Japan actually, and uh, and a couple here, and and they are Ricoh just has a they have a time lapse function in them that made it really easy for me to um, you know put them up. They're very small. They're relatively inexpensive. Uh, they're a little bit more than the than the GoPros, but not much. And um, and so they were you know they were pretty good for time lapse. What I like about – there's a couple things to think about when you do time-lapse. There's a lot of ways to do time-lapse at 1080p or 2 megapixel, 3 megapixel, 5 megapixel. But I like to try to do them at 8 or 10 megapixel. And the reason is that if you're going to do the movie later at 1080p, you can actually pan and scan inside of the image. So you can you – know, because a lot of times you don't know what's going to happen. So you want to be kind of wide and capturing the whole scene. But you still want to be able to zoom in uh, to certain areas if they, if they turn out to be interesting. Yeah. So, um, so that's something to, uh, you know, something to consider. Uh, I think that I've been told, and I haven't tested this, that some of the Nikon cameras have a lot of time-lapse stuff built into them. And I haven't had the op- you know, some of the little point-and-shoots. And I haven't had a time. I haven't had the opportunity yet to get a hold of an icon and do some testing on the on on how they work. So that might be uh, another one uh, to consider as far as that works. I'm kind of surprised that every point and shoot doesn't have time lapse built into it. It seems like a simple enough thing to. Um, in fact, in, in, it's not even called time lapse. It's called interval. In um, now, the other thing to know is that a lot of your cameras can have. You can get a controller for it, where you can attach a controller to some of the cameras, especially if you have an SLR. And it'll, you know, you can play with all kinds of controls as far as doing your time lapse. And again, the other thing to remember is that your iPhone is a, or you know, your iPhone is a, can be a time lapse. There's programs that will let your iPhone become a time lapse. That's kind of an expensive one. So that's the thing to think about when you when you do that. It's sometimes cheaper to have smaller cameras that could theoretically, um, you know, bad things could happen to them. You wouldn't feel too bad. And you could leave it in one spot, like say to record a house being built or something, right? Right. And, and one of the things you want to think about there is, um, number one, is that if you have an SD card, one thing to think that you might want to think about is whether you want to have something that will be uploading to a website. You know, so using um, you know, an iFi in there is one thing that you can think about of just pushing those images as it's taking those photos um, you know, up, to, up to the Internet. And I've done it, I've done it both with I've, – I've actually had a time lapse where I had an iFi that was – Bouncing stuff to the website via a MiFi, <laughs> so, and so the MiFi was sitting right under. There's a lot of eyes camera. in there. <laughs> yeah, and so, it, but it was all, it wasn't a very long one. And the other thing to think about when you do time lapse is whether you can power the camera externally, uh, because a lot of these little cameras are battery operated, and if you can't get a power in there, you're not going to be able to do it forever. So then, the other thing to think about is also security type cameras, because you know if you're not looking for super high resolution, you can get a little HD, you know, security camera, and even though they don't take very, they don't have a very high frame rate for what you're doing. Doing, it may not matter. So those are other things to kind of um, consider as you're as you're looking at those uh, time lapses. So there's a lot of options. As I said, Rico makes some. I think that the, it's the only thing I buy Rico cameras for. I don't. I'm not a big fan of Ricos in general, but they um, but they have this interval that and they're really small, tiny cameras. And uh, and that's what I've used for a lot of the film set stuff that we had talked about in the past. Um, Nikon, as I said, I think some of the point shoots have an interval function in there. And uh, and then of course the GoPro has one built in. Uh, you can have other controllers. So that's Hopefully that helps. Wonderful. Perfect. That's a great answer. All right. Question number two. I think I'm going to throw it over to Martin. Martin, you want to take it away? Sure. So Twitter user Pixelgrind writes, why don't they make a camera LCD to view raw preview so that you get a WYSIWYG image on your LCD? And in some respects, they are doing this already. The, you know, the, basically, the camera will save a JPEG preview in the raw images 
And even when you look at the images on your computer, Lightroom, Adobe Camera Raw, they, they all basically, uh, they read the, the file and then they write a preview. And I'm not sure if it's, if it's JPEG as such, but it's basically a, 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 an image that they've created from the raw file. And so that they don't have to continue to reprocess it every time you look at it, they'll save that preview somewhere. So it's doing pretty much the same thing. But the difference, of course, is that the, the camera, you, because you, can, you don't change things like white balance after the event, you, if you could, if you could go in and change the white balance in your camera, then for sure it'd be, it would be great if that was automatically updated. Um, so, you know, obviously there's, the, there's that aspect of it. You don't really need it in the camera for that as such. But the, I think what Pixel Grind is probably getting at is that in the camera, you, because they're basing the JPEG, I, be, I believe, because they're J, basing the JPEG, um, sorry, the preview on a JPEG, an 8-bit JPEG, you actually start clipping on the right side. Uh, you know, if you do shoot to the right, um, you'll start to clip on the right side there before the raw file is actually clipping. So you get to a point where you, you, you have to start to remember how much you can blow an image out, the whites and the highlights out, before you start to actually blow them out in the raw file. And so if, they, if the camera had the ability to actually create a, a, a preview um, of the image in 16-bit or, you know, the, I mean, some cameras shoot in 14-bit raw, 12, they, whatever, whatever you've got natively, if the camera could, could use all of the data in the raw file and show you for, you know, 100% exactly where you are in the histogram and not based on the 8-bit JPEG, then that certainly would be a huge benefit. Um, and, and I think that, obviously, it, it's a great question, and I think that the only people that can really answer why it's not there is, because, is the manufacturers themselves. I mean, I, I don't have a clue why it's not there, but it, it's obviously, there's, there's got to be a, a lot, just theorising it, theorising a little bit here, it's there's got to be a lot of computer power that goes behind actually creating the 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 real perfectly sort of accurate histogram and i, I don't know I, mean, I guess they're they're just cutting corners it's they've got the power to create the images in raw and and throw you know in some of the cameras now up to 10 12 um frames per second onto the cf card so they've obviously, they're obviously handling a lot of computer power so it's probably just a a budget thing, you know. They're, they're deciding that that people are are currently getting by with the the eight bit JPEG preview, and so they just don't they don't want to you know spend the extra R and D dollars to to actually get it. It's like it's good implemented. enough. It's good enough for now, right? Right, right. So yeah, but it's a great question. I think that it, I think that we we will probably see more accurate histograms coming directly from the raw. Um, but I think that even when that happens, it'll still be saved as a. You need something in the raw file to as a preview when you're when you're looking at images as you import them and things like that. Um, so I think that there'll always be a need to actually write it into into an image file. But it it does, doesn't necessarily need to be an eight bit JPEG. It, it probably and and maybe some companies are even starting to move away from that. I'm I'm not aware of the details, but. It's a good question, and I think that it's it's something to look forward to in the hopefully near future. Excellent. All right, Martin, thank you. All right, question number three, I'm going to toss over to the new guy. So, Hale, you want to take it away? 
Uh, sure. So David Barnes on our Facebook page writes, "Can any Twippers tell me if an iPad is any good for photo editing? Currently, my workflow involves Photoshop Elements, Photomatics, and Nikon View NX2. So the answer is yes. Uh, you can definitely do quite a bit, surprising amount actually, uh, of photo editing on an iPad. I'm looking at my iPad 2 right now, and." My photography folder is just filled with apps that can do that. Um, I'll just name a couple of these. Uh, Nick Software's Snapseed, if you're looking to do um, filters and special effects to your, to your photography. Um, it's a great little app. It won Apple's uh, iPad App of the Year Award this year. Uh, FilterStorm Pro is like Photoshop for the iPad. And I know that there's actually a Photoshop Express for the iPad and sometime in the second quarter, I believe Adobe is going to come out with Photoshop Touch for the iPad, which is an expanded version. Uh, but FilterStorm Pro does some pretty amazing stuff. Everything from layers and masking to curves and levels. It even has a clone and stamp tool in there. So you can do some pretty powerful stuff. There are other applications if you want to do uh, HDR stuff. There's an app called Pro HDR. There's also Photogene. There's a whole bunch of them. So those are just a few of the ones that I have, uh, actually use. Now, so, Hill, you know, with... Maybe I think I'm one of the few, one of the few people probably that that missed that iPad two conga line because I'm still with my iPad one and I'm waiting patiently for the iPad three. So and I, I look at the iPad two and I love it and I'm and I look at like the software that you were talking about you know like Snapseed and that sort of thing and being able to do these kind of high quality edits on that device. Is it does it? Makes sense, and I'm just I'm coming from a position of ignorance in terms of you know an iPad two and having one. But does it make sense to edit on the device, or does it make sense to just move it over to a proper computer like a Mac or a PC and do your editing there? Like, what's the benefit of doing it with your fingers? So I wouldn't say there's necessarily a benefit to doing it with your fingers. Um, I think it's more of a situation where, uh, you know, if you've got an 11-inch MacBook Air with you, that's fantastic. You can shove that into, you know, a decent cargo pocket. Yeah, that's what I do, yeah. Exactly. And so if you've got that, then I'd say there's not a whole lot of advantage to, you know, taking out your iPad or taking your iPad with you and doing edits on the iPad. But... Not everybody has that 11-inch MacBook Pro. A lot of people just have either iMacs at home or 15-inch MacBook Pros gotcha. that, compared to the MacBook Air, weigh a ton. And or they've got you know Dells or uh, HPs or what have you. So it's not always a very portable machine that that's their primary photo editing machine. So the ch- the option is: Do you get an iPad for about six, seven hundred bucks, or do you plunk down twelve hundred for a uh, MacBook Air that's powerful enough to do photo editing? So. You know, you can take a compact flash card reader, and they actually make compact flash. It's a third-party company that makes a CF card reader for the iPad. Or you can use Apple's camera connection kit, pop your photos into here. And you were talking about this earlier with, you know, being able to take the images that you've taken in the field with the larger camera, put them into the iPad. You've got Wi-Fi or you've got a 3G iPad. It makes sense to have something on that iPad where you can edit quickly and upload straight to Google Plus or to Flickr or to uh, 500px, what have you. And that's why I think editing on the iPad does make a lot of sense is you can very quickly connect and put stuff up there. Yeah, yeah. Okay, great. All right, guys. Um, It is time to give a nod to one of our sponsors. Uh, This episode of This Week in Photo is brought to you by Carbonite. Alex, you want to help me... uh, give a nod to these guys. I mean, I'm, you know, just sure. b- before we, before you go into that, 
I want to give a huge nod to Carbonite because um, a couple weeks ago, I think it was yeah, a couple weeks ago before Christmas, we did a promotion on Tip where where the Drobo folks gave us a code to give away to the just an exclusive code just for the Twip listeners to give away for like fifty percent off of Drobo S. You know, so I sent that out and people just went crazy over it, including me, and I got one. But, <laughs> <laughs> and I got it, but you know, I when I was moving my my drives over to the new one, something oh, no. happened. Electricity oh, no. struck or static or something. And uh, I almost lost every episode of Twip, my oh, entire photo Lightroom library, and my iTunes library. <laughs> so, <laughs> I almost lost everything, but it's up on Carbonite, so yeah. it is it is in the cloud. So had that happened, you know, I would have been much more stressed than I was. So I don't know. I just wanted to throw that in there before you talk, because this is like that's like a real world, you know insert expletive here moment <laughs> you know and, that, and that's the whole thing that is what that is exactly what carbonite's about it's 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 fine i mean and it's a perfect example where you have a backup drive you have backups for your backups and so on and so forth but they're, if they're all in the same place that that's not really a backup it has to be in the cloud you have to find a way to take the most important images it might not be everything you have if you're like me you generate terabytes of information and you know, you know, it might be one of those things that you can't put all of it up there immediately. Um, but you should start thinking about this as a photographer. Your the the photos of your of your family, the photos that are important of your friends, of the places that you went, and then of your business, uh, your important files. All those things have to be um, off site. They have to be in the cloud. Uh, and and you you know you should have two copies. You know, in out of the cloud. You know, I I like to keep a copy of the most important stuff at in my home office, and then one at the at the office office, and then the most important stuff also sitting in the cloud. And that's what Carbonite's great for. Keeps you protected and uh, makes sure that everything's uh, you know stored safely uh, offsite. You can have your files uh, backed up automatically and continually backed up, so it can do that in the background. And if you have a disaster, it's easy to restore from your backed up files. Of course, you can access all these files as well privately on any computer or on your smartphone or iPad with a free app. So. Yeah, uh, it's fifty nine dollars a year, so it's a, it's a pretty low price, and you can get a free trial just to see if this works for you. You can go to carbonite dot com, use the offer code TWIP, and you'll get two bonus months if you decide to buy. Nice. So uh, go to carbonite dot com and use the offer code for two bonus months uh, as TWIP T W I P. Yeah, that's great. You know, just my my personal sort of backup methodology here in my little home office is I have a Drobo S that has it's full of two terabyte drives and I have a mirroring Drobo S sitting next to it right now. Yep. And I just run super duper every night to it automatically runs and it just any changes that happened on Drobo one get moved over to Drobo two. So I have redundancy here. But like you're saying, Alex, if lightning strikes my house or somebody breaks in and, you know, then I'm out of luck. But yep. I'm not really out of luck because everything is is off site and in the cloud too. So exactly, yeah, that's that's the way it works. So I have I have peace of mind knowing that if something happens to hardware here on one side, I have that redundancy plus the built-in redundancy. And if something just sort of goes catastrophically wrong with the West Coast, then I'm okay. <laughs> so. Exactly. All right, folks, we are at that time in the show where each of our wonderful guests gives their pick of the week. Remember, a pick can be software, hardware, gear, workshop, whatever, as long as it is somehow related to photography. Alex Lindsay, you're going first. What is your pick of the week? So I know this sounds like I, I'm totally obsessed, but I have to say that my, my pick of the week is going to be the iPhone 4S. And I don't, Has anyone picked it before me? 
Did anyone uh, pick it? I, it I think out? I think everybody picked it around when it came out. So. Everybody picked it. So, I, but I wasn't there. I wasn't there, and so I'm going to pick it again. And, and here's why I'm so excited about it. I, here's I have to say that um, I the I, I wasn't that excited. I mean, it was like fine. It was like these are great photos and everything else. And what happened was I was actually at the um, I was in Yudanaka. So the, I know that uh, you know uh, Martin does the, these. Uh, you, you you do the tours, right? To, yeah, yeah, yeah. Which, by the way, if you you should take one of those tours because it's just it's just great. Uh, Unanaka is a great place, and um, so I was in Unanaka taking pictures of little snow monkeys sitting in the little hot tub, and um, and the thing is is that I found myself you know I was taking all these photos with my 5D, and then I then I started taking some photos with my iPhone, and I just started and and suddenly like later when I was looking through stuff, of course I got great photos with my eye, and it was it was a perfect day to go shooting because the it had just snowed, so it literally snowed like six inches the night before nice. so there was snow everywhere it was fresh snow and and in these these uh the, the monkeys of course wanted to sit in the hot water and i took these photos with my iphone and i just was stunned i think i twittered it at some point in time or tweeted it at some point in time. i was just stunned at the quality of these images that were coming out of my phone and i suddenly realized that, that it really had changed and and then at that point I suddenly realized that I was wandering around much more interested in just taking pictures with my iPhone and not taking my camera everywhere. Now, I still take my camera out and, um, you know, I, I, I like to take a lot of photos with it. But but I, I just suddenly got so excited about the idea of of really expressing myself with my with, – and, and just figuring out how much I, how I can get the most out of uh, my iPhone. And so anyway, so so my, my iPhone 4S, uh, I think that the jump between the 4 and the 4S, I didn't – I don't think I – I think I talked about it technically at Mac, on MacBreak or whatever – but it is um it just really changes the way you look at, at photography in my opinion. Well, yeah. All right, that's, that's Alex Lindsay's. So no more iPhone 4S for you Alex. This episode <laughs> it's full of iPhone. I I'm, I'm not going to say I'm not going to talk about it again. All right. The rest <laughs> of the show for the next 3 minutes. Or 10 yeah, cuz you didn't even judge on how cool the video is out of the thing. You're the video guy. Ah, oh, the video's great too. But I, this is this is a photographic show. I've been trying to suppress myself. Very good, very good. <laughs> All right, Martin, what's your what's your pick of the week? Okay, so totally out of character for me. I'm going to suggest something that's free. Um, <laughs> so, you have Mister Two Camera Bodies at a time here. <laughs> I, I was out there. Actually, I was I was over photographing Hooper Swans for the last few days, and I had three cameras with me as as I often do. You know, one on a one on a gimbal head on a tripod and then a double strap from black rapid with with a 300 millimeter and a 70 to 200 either side like a gunslinger and everyone kept looking at me all strange but anyway um so this thing uh the free thing that i was going to suggest is craft and vision david duchemin's companies um the ebooks that they make released a free ebook recently called 11 ways you can improve your photography now, I, I do have a kind of vested interest in this because I'm one of the photographers that has a, a, um, a article in this book. But it's free. It's full of amazing information. And I'd just like to suggest that if anybody, um, you know, has the time to, to, to check it out, then and even if you don't, make time to check out 11 ways you can improve your photography from Craft and Vision. And you can find it over at the craftandvision.com website. And um, it, it's just, it just really is. Obviously, you can't argue with the price, um, but it, it really is a, a great read. So uh, that's that's my pick. That's great. Yeah, yeah. And we'll definitely link to that in the show notes. But yeah, I've, I can I can vouch for the Craft and Vision books as well. Been a huge fan of them since David launched that site. 
and uh, they they do good work. And when they're not free, they're five bucks or four bucks. Right? Yeah, so they're, 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 they start they're five bucks, but if you if you get get it in the first week or so after release, you, there's usually a, a dollar off so yeah and they so have, they have get it subs- for nothing or next to nothing right yeah they also have a subscription uh based sort of thing at the moment where you can just subscribe for a x amount and and then just get pretty much everything as it comes out or you know there's various ways you can do it but they have a they have a great i, I haven't signed up for that because i've actually bought everything that they that they released to date anyway so i just uh you know it doesn't really make sense for me to do that but if you're if you're new to it um, or you expect that you're going to be grabbing these as they as they come out in the future, then the subscription's a good way to get into that as well. Absolutely. Absolutely. Good. Well, thanks, Martin. All right. Uh, so, Hale, what is your pick of the week? So um, I'm just fanatical about spending money on online learning tools. So I, I think I've given away way too much money to everything from video to brain to Linda to Creative Live. Um, so my pick of the week is along those lines. It's actually kelbytraining.com. And this is probably one of my all-time favorite uh, training tools online, primarily because of the caliber of photographers that's on Kelby Training. You've got Moose Peterson, Joe McNally, Frank Dorhoff, um, all of these amazing photographers, and of course, um, Scott Kelby himself as well. Um, but uh, this is where I spend a lot of time lately, especially as I continue my uh, my resolution of really understanding and, and getting closer to mastering light. Uh, I spend a lot of time on Kelby training, so that's my pick of the week. Awesome. Great. Yeah, I'm a big fan of that site as well, so thanks for that, Sohail. All right, quickly, my pick is, you know, I'm going to get chastised maybe for it not being explicitly photographic, but it kind of is because if you're a photographer that's making a living at photography or hope to make a living at photography, presumably you have a blog. Um, and if you have a blog, you need to learn how to build, write, and run it successfully. Successfully, And I got to tell you, this book that I just got, it's called Bloggers Bootcamp. Learning how to build, write, and run a successful blog is got to be the best book available on how, you know, not so much how to install WordPress or Squarespace or, you know, all this stuff. It's about how to build an audience and how to write for blog, what schedule should you be blogging on if you're trying to build an audience and what, what are some things that you can do to sabotage yourself? It's just, it's just written in this concise sort of, you know, it's kind of like if, if Alex, it's kind of like if you and I were sitting down for coffee and you were like, okay, this is how you run a video shoot. You know, yeah. it, it's yeah. like that. You know, it's not condescending. It's not too basic. It's just boom right there. And whenever I open it up, I'm like, like you open up to any page. It's like, I just opened it up just now and it opened up to chapter seven. It's mob rule, inciting a riot, and freedom of speech. You know, so it's nice. just, it just goes into the stuff about how you can create this and get an unfair advantage over other bloggers in your niche. So I would definitely recommend it. And, you know, this is, it's a, it's a really good book and it's been on my nightstand for a couple of weeks now. It's by uh, Charlie White and John Biggs and respectively of mashable.com and crunchgear.com. So 
you know, two of the most popular, if not the most popular, blogs on the planet. So you, you had me at, at Incite Riot. <laughs> yeah, I, 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 I was just, like, I just, uh, buy one with one click button on Amazon myself. So yeah, it's amazing. It is, you um, know, I highly <laughs> recommend it. I don't, I don't do that very often and get that enthusiastic over a book, but. You know, considering the industry that we're all in, you know, this is this is like one of those must have books. So nice. Definitely check it out. All right, guys, this is it. We are at the end. Uh, this is this is so sad. We are at the <laughs> end of the last episode of 2011, the last episode of this year. So, Alex, finally, for the last time of 2011, where can people go to find out more about you and what you're up to? Uh, people can find me on the Twitters. Alex Lindsay, all one word. I'm also going to be doing more Hangouts on Google Plus. So, um, so if you put me in one of your circles, you may see that I'm going to be putting. I'm going to be doing some insider circles, and I'm going to be doing a bunch of them uh, into my general. Uh, whoever's got me in circles, uh, I'm going to be doing a lot more of that starting uh, next week. Very cool. All right. So you're getting deep in, and you did a webinar recently too, didn't you? I did a webinar. I did a webinar for filmmaking webinars, and I think I'm going to do more. I had a lot of fun. We did. Uh, I did a webinar about live streaming and. Uh, uh, we had 800 people, or I don't know how many people. You had 800 people. people in the room? I don't know. I mean, they weren't in a room. It was it was on an online room. Well, yeah, so I mean, that's was, what I mean. I don't in know. The, I actually don't webinar. know what the number is. I know that I, I think I did the math. It was like they said, oh, maybe a half will show up. 1,800 people like signed up, and it was like crazy. And oh and um, and so uh, and then we had a bunch of, but it was uh, and it was put on. Uh, it was anyway. It was it was great. And so we did it all with uh, go to webinar. and uh, and I had a great time doing it and, on filmmaking webinars. And so. Um, so anyway, so I I'm gonna do more, and uh, and so we're gonna we're gonna, we're talking about other things, probably an advanced version of streaming, you know, talking about live streaming, and also I think we're gonna do one about for photographers and filmmakers and anyone who has to get gear in a, like travel with gear. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm thinking about doing like a one hour seminar on that because it's just something we do all the time, Love and uh, you know we we have to pack a lot and. Uh, a lot of people ask me, like, so how do you pack all this stuff, and how do you move fifty thousand dollars of equipment in and out of the country, and <laughs> without you know paying huge duties, and and how you how do you do all that stuff? And and we realized that you know it was very painful when we got started doing it. So I'm hopefully going to save people some some time and effort. So anyway, that's coming up. That, that'll be at filmmakingwebinars.com. Uh, no, Alex, are you still packing a small handgun in your luggage so that it gets special? Treatment? <laughs> no, I stopped doing that. It was a starter's pistol. <laughs> <laughs> I, I stopped doing that. That was a long time ago. Just, like, <laughs> that was out. in the bad days. Right? Well, the, for those of you listening, the thing is, is that there's a lot of regu- extra regulations if you have a gun in, in your thing. But you don't want to actually put a gun because you don't want to pack a gun. But if you have a starter pistol, it's not really a gun, but it's still kind of a gun. And then it, they make you lock the bag and do all this other stuff. And so, so it was a photographer's trick that I only did a couple of times just, just to see if it would work. And it does work or did work back then, which is that, you know, that, that what happens is then they search your entire bag in front of you and then they lock your bag. So you can put lenses and stuff back into it and everything else. turns out that with 9-11, if you're, especially if you're flying domestically, the security is so high um, because they're afraid they're going to, someone's going to put a bomb into your, into your bag that you know, we we move a lot of stuff around, and knock on wood, we don't you know see a lot of stuff disappear. Um, you know, um, and then we fly when we fly over overseas, we fly through certain airports like Dubai because the you know the the cost of theft is very high in Dubai. Yeah, and so um so we we connect through Dubai. <laughs> so because we we figured I don't think anyone's going to steal anything there because they won't be able to 
hang on to the yeah, luggage. They'll, they'll lose their hands, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. That takes a lot of the fun out of stealing. Yeah. So anyway, so we so we pick we pick cities that are like that to make sure that we pass through. So anyway, but anyway, but the uh, we don't we don't I don't put I don't put guns in my. <laughs> that was the big rumor. Alex Lindsay traveling with firearms. <laughs> no, no, I never, never have. I never actually flown with a gun. Yeah, okay. I thought about it. Yeah, me either. Me either. Right, I see people out. do it. I, I'm like, I never thought it was possible. And then you see it, like, you're, when you're overseas, you'll see people bringing their hunting rifles from Africa, Jeez. like, and they're pat and they're checking them, and you're like, wow, you can do that. Anyway, it's a whole other story. Crazy, crazy. All right, Martin Bailey, where are you, where are you at online? And pretty much everything's linked to martinbaileyphotography.com and uh, my Twitter and uh, the, the tour site that we mentioned earlier. Uh, I did want, just want to say quickly that, um, you know, we do have those two spaces left on the Snow Monkey and Hokkaido you should tour. It. People so, should do that. If you're, going to, if you're going to Japan, the Snow Monkeys are so much fun. It's this weird mix of relatively easy to get to but hard enough that there's not, a, mm-hmm. you know, it's not crazy. And, yeah. and it, the winter is that when are you going? When is, when is your tour? It's February, so we're, we we go when it's covered in snow. Most yeah. years, it's covered in snow, which is great. It's so it's so much fun. If you've ever thought that that, that would be a good idea, it, I'm just going to tell you it is, and you should go with someone who has taken a bunch of those photos. And you know, Mar- you should just Martin Martin's the guy to go to with, go with. And and if you've got there's two spaces, and you should take them because it's 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 such a fun trip overall. Where do you stay in? You stay in Udinaka. We do. We stay in a hotel, a very traditional hotel. Some of the rooms have actually got the onsen, you know, the, the hot springs right there on the room. Wow. Um, oh, that's and, and so, you know, it's, it's really the, it's a traditional and a cultural experience. But obviously we, 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 go, we travel there for the first three days of, of the 12-day tour. Um, and, and by the way, I mean, obviously the, I understand that there's concerns about Japan with the radiation at the moment, but we don't travel to the to the seriously hit areas um although my, my wife's family live there um we you know on the tour we don't we don't travel to those areas so that no worries about that uh, so if you're interested then do let us know very cool all right that's martinbaileyphotography.com and all the info is linked to from there all right so hail mamdani where can people go to connect and find out who you are well, I spend an inordinate amount of time on Google Plus these days. It's pretty much become the funnel through which all my social media stuff flows. So uh, easy enough to find if you can spell my first name, which is S-O-H-A-I-L. So it's SohailGplus.com. SohailGplus and spell out the plus.com. Yep, spell out the plus.com. And uh, pretty much if it's on Twitter and Facebook, it actually originated on Google Plus and automatically went through to those other outlets so that's that's pretty much where you want to go if you want the original all right guys thanks a lot it's been an amazing episode and you know listeners don't forget to check out twip live it's on the last thursday of every month i think we're going alex we're going to be kicking this thing off again in january right yes all right yeah so just follow our twitter or facebook feeds or alex's twitter or whatever to to find out more and to be reminded of when that's going to happen, and we'll put it on the blog as well. And, and we're also- threatening to do. We're, by the way, we're threatening to do. Like the thing to know is that the live will be different. We will put up the recordings later. So we, we you know, you people always ask, is, is this going to be recorded? It's going to be recorded. But there's, but there's places for you to ask questions during the event. So it's not just you passively watching a Thursday night session. You're actually able to ask questions. And we're looking at integrating things like Google Hangouts into the show. So you'll be able oh, to. 
you know, so what we want to do is the, one of the new things we're working on for 2012 is letting people ask a bunch of questions with this little idea engine that we use so that people can ask a bunch of questions, vote them up, and then take the people, create a circle from the people who have asked the most popular questions and then bring them into a Google Hangout and let them ask, let them actually ask us the questions themselves and discuss them and stuff like that. So that's the kind of the next generation uh, that we'll be uh, introducing next year, next year. Awesome. So much fun in 2012. It's going to be good. Yes. All right, folks, if you want to keep up with everything in the TWIP universe, just head over to thisweekinphoto.com. There you'll find links to all of our online presences. Also, please support the show by leaving us a comment on iTunes. We do read and, you know, get warm fuzzies by reading those most of the time. Sometimes we cry. Sometimes we cry. And sometimes we run out of the room me, screaming. But you say mean things, we cry. <laughs> But we do check them out, so please leave us a comment over there. And speaking of iTunes, be sure to check out the TWIP podcast app. It's a handy way to keep up with the shows as soon as they are released. And also, we're now available on Android devices, so Android users can now subscribe to the feed. Just check out the website for details. There's a little link to it in the uh, right-hand sidebar on thisweekinphoto.com. And also to all those folks that have been emailing me about Stitcher.com and our our vanish vanishing act from Stitcher, we'll probably be back on there soon. So uh, I got your messages, and we're working on it. And if you're looking for me, Frederick Van Johnson, you can find me at FrederickVan.com. And with that, it is time to take that lens cap off for the last time in 2011. <laughs> This Week in Photo is a PixelCore.tv production, produced by Suzanne Llewellyn, with technical producers John Riley and Alutha Jamakar. <laughs>